Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Is that better? Okay, we'll see if we can keep it this way now. Now, get my train of thought back again. I can hear me almost too well. Okay. Mark chapter 13. This will be our our third and and final uh, lesson on um, this chapter, which is the... um, known as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus talks about uh, 
some things concerning the end times and, and other things as well. So, so what's going on? Well, Jesus has made his last journey to Jerusalem before his, his being crucified. And his last encounter with the religious leaders of the day, of the Jews. And in leaving the temple, the disciples pointed out to him the buildings of the temple, just how magnificent they were. Because I'm sure they were confused in their mind as to what's going on. You know, this is our Messiah. And here he is alienating everybody that, that can help him and, you know, help put him into power. And so uh, they, they point out to him, just look how, look what a great, magnificent structure this temple is. And he said, the time's coming very soon that there's not going to be one stone left upon another. And so they ask him three questions only two of which are recorded in the book of Mark. That is, when will these things be? When's this going to happen? When is the temple going to be destroyed? And what will be the sign that these things are about to be fulfilled? <clears throat> Remember, Jesus said the Jews always have to seek for a sign. And so they wanted a, wanted a sign. What, what do we watch for to know that this is about to happen? And thirdly, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, this is not recorded in Mark, but it is recorded in the more complete version of the Olivet Discourse found in Matthew 24. Now, to understand why they asked that third question as it regards the, the temple and the destruction of the temple, Remember when Jesus was leaving, and well, actually before he before he left, and after his encounter with the religious leaders, first of all he pronounced a woe upon them. You know, you know it's going to be bad for you guys. And then he said, you know, uh, you are not going to see me again until. Uh, let me, let me read the whole thing. He says, Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate, for I say to you, you shall no more see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which, of course, indicates that there will be another coming. Now, his disciples, who were pretty good at adding two and two together and coming up with no answer whatsoever, were able to put together this much. You know, there is going to be another, another coming, a second coming. So, you know, in relation to this, and this is at the end of chapter 23 in, uh, in Matthew, they put this together with the destruction of the temple because through their way of thinking, the temple being destroyed and the world coming to an end have to go together somehow or the other. You know, they couldn't imagine a world without the temple. And so 
And of course, th there is a connection here that they were able to able to put together. Now, <coughs> there is some time, of course, between the destruction of the temple and the and the end of of the world, the end of the age. But the temple was destroyed because of their disobedience, but also because it was no longer going to be necessary. It was not going to be needed because the Lord was going to dwell within us, each of us, because the sacrifice was going to be made that would complete us, that would perfect us, that would make us fit vessels for the Holy Spirit to live in. And he would no longer have to live behind the veil of the temple. But he would live in us. We are the Holy of Holies now. We as his church, his, his people, his spirit resides in us. So they basically ask him kind of a question that's asked a whole lot today. When? Is the world going to end? When is Jesus coming again? And what are the signs? You know, but we have been living in the last days for a long time, haven't we? Jesus ushered in the last days by his first coming. Now, on the day of Pentecost, in Peter's first message to the Christian church, he said, and he's quoting uh, the prophet Joel, he says, and it shall come to pass in these last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. You know, and also in, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, it says, but now, speaking of Jesus, now once at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, you know, we are living in the last days. If this doesn't convince you, you know, check out 2 Timothy 3 and 1, Hebrews 1 and 2, James 5 and 3, or 2 Peter 3 and 3. Of course, like I said, most people, when they ask, are we living in the last days, want to know, are we living at the time when the coming of Jesus is imminent I'll answer that in a few minutes so, so just hang on you know we'll answer that but you know I think I think it's good to look at the idea of the last days the same way we look at the idea of salvation you know we have been saved we have been saved from the penalty of sin you know, our, our, our sins are forgiven. We are saved. We are God's people. We are being saved. We are being saved from the power and the, the corrupting influence of sin. And we will be saved, ultimately, from the very presence of sin. So, likewise, you know, the last days have come. They are coming, and, and they will come. The last days came when Jesus came. He ushered in the last days. The last days are coming, and we see the signs of their coming all the time. And then finally, the last day will come. 
again. There will come a time when Jesus will come again, and the world as we know it will be over. Now, this uh, raises the the idea of how how does prophecy work? You know, there are both near and distant fulfillments. The near fulfillment often being the foreshadow of the distant uh, fulfillment. You guys who have been coming on Wednesday night to our study of Isaiah have heard this you know, a good bit where Isaiah is speaking the word of the Lord to uh, to Jerusalem and it has to do with their the possibility or the reality, I guess I should say rather, the reality of their imminent demise as a as a city as a nation because they're going to be carried away captivity into captivity because of their disbelief but it also spills over into the final judgment the last day and so there is a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment and it's the same way with Jesus prophecy here in the Olivet Discourse that he is and it's called the Olivet Discourse because he's teaching from the Mount of, of Olives and he is teaching on the last days so now, now are some prophecies that only have a, a single event but these are fewer and more far between in in the Bible now an example of that is the first part of this discourse in verses uh, 5 through 13 he is speaking directly to the destruction of the temple because that is the first question that they ask about you know, when's this going to be and what do we watch for and he tells them then in verses 14 through 23 it's kind of more of an intermediary intermediary he is talking about both the final judgment and you know the, the second coming and the destruction of the temple and then verses 24 through 27 he is talking about his second coming what we think of as the last days even though we're in the last days there are the last days of the last days I guess you could, you could say you know so uh, and my second favorite preacher in all the world uh, my first favorite of course being Pastor Bill my <laughs> But my second favorite <laughs> tried to use an uh, uh, analogy I heard him do one time of the rear view mirror or side mirror in a car. You know, the, particularly the one on the right side says, you know, little words across it. It says objects in mirror are, or objects are, are further away than they, uh, are closer than they appear. Well, he got it backwards just like I almost did. And thinking it said, objects are further away than they appear and it's often like that in prophecy particularly when you have two things coming together like he's talking about the destruction of the temple and his second coming it they appear like they're really close together when actually they are farther away than they appear I heard I saw somebody one time had an illustration called the mountain peaks of of prophecy. You know, like we're we're standing 
here and looking out toward the mountain, you know, we can see a few hills between here and, and the top of East River Mountain, but we can't see what all is in the valley. You know, and there's a lot that goes on in between there, and we could, if we flatten that out a little bit, you know, it appears that, you know, what is far off is close, but when it's in our time, in the way we view time, it is uh, a good ways off. So beginning in, in uh, verse 24, he is looking way to the future from where he, the time that he is talking about from where he is, and way into the future from the destruction of the temple. You know, he has gone past that on to uh, his second coming. And it says, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in heaven will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the furthest part of heaven to the furthest of the earth to the furthest part of heaven. Now, notice, you know, these cosmic signs, the shaking of, of the cosmos and everything that that we see as stability is not going to happen just one day. It's going to happen over a, a period of time. It's just like tribulation, you know, that has always been with us will get gradually worse maybe not even gradually worse, but get worse toward the end of time. So will the cosmic signs and the shaking of, of the heavens and the shaking of the earth. Now, uh, you know, and we look, we look to the stars. You know, they have been in place throughout the history of mankind, the history of the earth. They are, they are so certain that man can use them to navigate when he can't see anything else but the stars. He can use them to navigate. The sun rises every morning. You can count on it. You can look in your almanac, you know, for you know, next December the 1st, and it can tell you what time the sun's going to rise. Same way with the moon. You can look at the tide chart for December the 1st of this year, and it will tell you when the high tide and low tide is going to be. They are so predictable. They are so steady. But the time is coming, he's saying, when this is not going to be. What would we think if the sun didn't come up in the morning? Or what if there were no stars in the sky, even though there weren't any clouds? You know, everybody would start getting really alarmed, wouldn't they? Even the atheists and the agnostics would say, you know, the end of the world is at hand. But then suddenly, there's not going to be any more atheists or agnostics because he said the Lord himself will appear and everybody is going to see him. Every eye is going to see him, and every knee is going to bow before him. And the, there's only going to be two reactions 
either we're going to say hallelujah or we're going to say woe is me. But this time when he comes, you know, he won't be coming as the baby in the manger. The gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He's going to be coming in all of his power, in all of his glory. He is going to be coming with vengeance, and he is going to be coming as judge. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to be coming in love too, because he is going to have the same love with him that he brought with him the first time that compelled him to endure the suffering and the shame of the cross, to die and rise again. We who are his don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. In fact, we should rejoice at the idea of his coming. We should love his appearing. We should love his coming and really want it to hasten rather than to be to be longer away. And then he will send his angels you know, to gather the elect, his chosen ones, from the furthest corner of the earth into the furthest corner of heaven. And you say, well, is he talking about the rapture or is he talking about the second coming? I think here he is kind of putting both together just as, as in one event, even though we know it's you know, two separate events. But he is talking about gathering his own to him. The Lord knows his own. And someone said one time, there will be no empty seats in heaven. Everybody that wants a seat can have one. But the Lord knows the ones who have have accepted him and knows the ones who who have received his love and received his forgiveness. And he also knows the ones who haven't. So there will be no empty seats. And then then Jesus teaches us what to watch for. They ask for a sign. And you know, Jesus wasn't opposed to giving signs. He was only opposed to giving signs to those people who didn't believe him, who wanted to be convinced, but wouldn't be convinced. Verse 28, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near, at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Like I say, he's not opposed to giving signs. In fact, he says, you know, consider a fig tree. Uh, not many trees in Palestine lose their leaves like, like they do around here. But the fig tree did every year. And every summer, or, or every spring, you know, it would bud new leaves and its fruit would begin to grow. So when you saw these things, you knew it was about to be summer. You know, this is not the only time that he gave people signs like this. He said, you know, you know to watch the signs. You know to watch, you know, when the 
clouds, I mean, when the sky is red at night, you know that it's going to be fair weather tomorrow. Or when it's red in the morning, you know that it's going to be a rainy day. Watch for the signs. He said, I am giving you signs. I am giving you things to watch for. Now, the things he is giving us to watch for are things we are to watch for. There are signs that the coming is near, but they are not the coming itself. For example, the the shaking of the heavens and the cosmos, you know, are not the second coming itself. They are the signs of the second coming, the signs that he is coming again. So when we see these things, we will know that it's near. But we that is not that is not his his coming. That is the fact that that it is near. So and he says, you know, one of the most controversial verses in the entire New Testament. This generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. There's probably been more skeptics use this verse to say, see, the Bible can't be right. It can't know what it's talking about because they all died. You know, the people he was talking to died. Well, how do, how do, we, how do we rectify that? How do we get around that? We don't get around it. We just listen to what it is that he is saying. We don't have to get around anything. Now, you know, a generation is a generation. You know, around 40 years, you know, according to biblical generation. But he is talking about the end times. He is talking about the last of the last days, the days when the heavens will be shaken, the days when the stars will no longer shine, when the, the sun and the moon are going to refuse to give their light. When this generation sees these things, they are going to come to pass quickly enough that they will be just in one generation. That's how fast it's, it's going to happen. You know, the Lord sometimes, it seems like he takes him a long time to get around to doing things, doesn't he? But when he gets things in motion, things sometimes can happen very fast. Now, the the word that's translated generation here could also be translated race. And that fits just as well, but I don't think that's exactly what he's saying, that this race of, of people, you know, that is us, you know, the sons of Adam will will not pass away. That doesn't seem to fit too well. I think he's talking about the generation living when the signs of his return, such as the stars and the moon and the shaking of the cosmos, begin to take place. And then he gets to the main point. And the main point is, be ready. He says, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. 
It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. You know, I said last time that the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Now, if you get nothing else out of the Olivet Discourse, take away these two things because they are plain and they are main. The first one is that Jesus is coming again. He promised us that he was coming again, and he is coming again. You know, that I think that's one of the reasons that the Lord works prophecy the way he does, where there is a near fulfillment and a more distant fulfillment. And we've talked about this on Wednesday night. Yeah. The near fulfillment is like a down payment, if you will, of the far fulfillment. It is an indication that, well, if it's happened like he said it would the first time, it will certainly happen like he said it will the second time. And he said he was coming again, and he will be coming again. That is a main thing, and that is a very plain thing. And <coughs> the second main thing and plain thing is we don't know when it's going to be. So we need to always be ready. <coughs> if you think you know when he's coming, I can assure you you're wrong. If you are listening to somebody who thinks they know when he is coming, I can assure you they're wrong. And I say that with all the authority of the Word of God because I'm really not saying that. Jesus is the one who said that. Because he said, For you do not know when the time is. There have been so many people over the history of the Christian church who have figured out exactly when Jesus was coming again. And the stories of some of them are right pathetic. I read about one, one time, one group, and I can't remember. I think they were called the Millerites. This guy had, his name was Miller, of course, and he had convinced his followers that he knew exactly when Jesus was coming back. Some of them even went to the graveyards, to the graves of their departed loved ones so they could go up with them. And course you know the time came and and nothing happened he actually said three dates said if it isn't this one it's this one or this one and they did this three times you know it, it's pathetic if they would just listen to what Jesus is saying you you do not know and that you applies to all of us every you in the whole world that has ever been we do not know we think 
we hope. I mean, <clears throat> I've often said that I was, when it comes to last day's things, I am only really dogmatic about two things, and one more than the other. The first one is that Jesus is coming again. I am completely dogmatic about that. I will not budge on that one. The second one, and I'm almost as dogmatic, is that it could be today. Because I believe it could be today. But the reverse of that is true. And I, if I say it could be today, I also have to admit that it could be a thousand years from now. Let's say that I hope it's going to be today. Because, you know, he is coming for those of us who want him to come. That's what he means when he says those who love his appearing. You know, those of us who want him to come, he is coming for. So I'm dogmatic about those two things. But when, if anybody tells you that it's going to be you know, within the next year, don't listen to them. If they tell you it's going to be within the next hundred years, don't listen to them. We just don't know. And since we don't know, it behooves us to always be watching. Watch and pray. But now, <clears throat> he doesn't tell us just to sit back and watch. He said it, it is like a man who, who leaves his, his house but assigns his servants their jobs. You know, we have things to do while he is gone. We are to do the work that he assigned us, that he left us to do. We are to occupy until he comes, if you will. Take care of, of his business as he wants us to. And part of taking care of his business is taking care of ourselves that we are watching and and praying and longing for his return because it's going to come at a time when we are not expecting it maybe at a time when we've just about given up hope you know for all of us it's going to be a, a bit different Again, I hope he does come today, but I'm going to be ready if he's not. I'm going to be watching because I do want him to come. And I would hate for him to come and find me sleeping at my, at my post. I read a story one time. I think this happened in, in New England back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, um, that um, a, a group of state legislators were meeting, and all of a sudden it got extremely dark. And some of them thought this is, you know, <laughs> you know the sun's not shining, you know, the this is the end of the world. You know, the Lord's coming back. And wanted to run out and do whatever. I don't know. 
but the leader of the legislator said, if this is, you know, the end, if this is when the Lord's coming back, I would rather he come back and find me doing the job that he gave me to do. So y'all sit down, let's get back to work. Well, it wasn't the end, but, you know, we want, we want him to come find us ready and, and doing what he asked us to do. But the main thing is, like I say, this is the main thing and the plain thing. Be ready. Be watching. Because he is coming again. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for your promise that you are coming back for us. And Lord, we're holding on to that. Because you are our only hope. In Jesus' name. Amen.